And uh, I know that a lot of your focus for praying is for the Lord to work in revival. And as I thought about that, it struck me that uh, praying for revival is really very similar to another biblical emphasis on prayer, and that's prayer for the Holy Spirit's work of illumination, uh, the, the way in which he works within us. And it, it's a bit mysterious sometimes, uh, but nevertheless real that he does um, have the, the ability and he is, he is intent on helping us not just to understand the content of the Bible, but to work so that that content, content really has the impact on us. That, that the Lord wants uh, to work in us faith in, in what the Bible teaches, to work in us uh, a deeper persuasion uh, of its truthfulness and of its relevance uh, to our lives, and to work in us the willingness to, to follow uh, what the Lord is teaching us through Scripture. And probably my, my favorite passage on that topic, is, it's a favorite uh, for various reasons for a lot of people, and that would be Ephesians 1. And I'm sure you're familiar with how that passage is laid out, where in verses 3 to 14, uh, Paul lists and gives a little bit of explanation of all of these uh, amazing riches spiritually that, that we enjoy because of our union with Christ. And he raises issues that, in our minds, would raise a desire to know more, and, and maybe even questions that we have as to what he meant by this phrase or that phrase. And so you might think he, he would jump right into explaining more or applying more, uh, and he does do some of that later in the letter. But actually, when he's done with his list, which is, is a, an early hymn probably uh, celebrating those riches in Christ, uh, what Paul does is right away to stop and, and to talk about prayer and to even express prayer to the Lord and express to the Ephesians how he's praying for them. Uh, and it's like he senses that, that we're just not going to be able to get what he's saying simply by defining words or doing exegesis or uh, tracing out theology. It's like, like we need something more than just the intellectual work to understand the words on the page. And that more that he prays for is this special ministry of the spirit uh, that we call illumination. And so I want to read his, his prayer, starting in verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to his, the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
And of course, there's a lot in those words. I, I just want to focus in on the core uh, request of his prayer that I think serve as a great guide uh, for us, even while we're praying for revival. And in verse 17, he asks for the spirit, and he calls him the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And then he explains in the next verse a little bit more of what that means. He explains it in terms of the enlightening or the illumination of the eyes of our hearts. So our hearts, our inner man, have have kind of eyes. We have the capacity to see things or to perceive things in the spiritual realm that go beyond what we can see with the physical eye. And he's praying that the spirit would do that work to, to open our eyes further or to give us the sufficient light that we need for our spiritual, our inner man to perceive uh, these truths. And then as far as what it is we're supposed to see, what he's praying that we would see is the spirit works in our hearts. One of the things is he wants us to see better our hope, the hope to which God has called us, which, yes, that does ultimately point us to our, our spirit of hope or a sense of expectancy uh, for the future. But, but he's actually talking about hope in, in, in the first sense of the actual objective reality that awaits us and to which the Lord has called us. We're talking about uh, the final experience of our salvation when we arrive in the presence of God, that we would be more and more persuaded that that is true, that it's not something abstract, that it's not a leap in the dark, as it were, but that there is an objective content that we are, uh, that belongs to us and that we have been called to. And then he says, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints, which that might seem like it's continuing to talk about our inheritance as in heaven, but when we look at the wording, that doesn't seem to be the, the focus. He, he actually says God's glorious inheritance in or among the saints. And what he's actually saying is that God views us as his people, as his special treasure, as his own inheritance that brings him delight, that, that, that brings him joy. And that sounds very strange that God would view us that way, which is why Paul prays that the Spirit would help us get that that really is the case. And then finally, the unlimited power that we have available uh, to live our lives for the Lord. And this is what he expands on, especially as that passage goes on, using a number of different words, just piling up terminology and description, and finally saying that uh, the real measure of that power is that in history, it actually brought uh, back to life, the, the dead body of Jesus. And so he's guiding us by his example about praying for illumination and better insight and greater conviction of those three things. And as I thought about that, it, it struck me that those three things actually correspond to uh, some of the most basic needs that, that we have as human beings and that we, that we deal with as we try to help other people. What about hope? Well, isn't it true that we often feel hopeless, that we feel like uh, there's nothing to look forward to, that everything is bleak, that everything is negative? And Paul says, let's not focus on the earthly hope that we might have or the expectations that we think would be so delightful and satisfying to us. What we really need is to be uh, deeply persuaded of this greater hope, of this eternal hope. 
And, and that's going to have an impact on our lives when we, we are that grounded in hope. In fact, there's a, there's a parallel passage in Colossians where Paul says that the love that those people have for the saints is precisely because of the hope. And the connection is this, that if we're hopeless and we're just always longing and searching for something to give us a sense that it's all going to be okay or that we're going to be taken care of, we're going to be viewing other people as the means by which we might be able to get some of that from. Uh, But Paul says, if you have this deep conviction of the hope laid up for you, what that does is it frees you to be able to live a life of giving to other people, of loving other people instead of trying to get from them, because you know that your own needs have been thoroughly met with what the Lord has called you to. So uh, the hope answers to being hopeless. Uh, The idea of God's riches and the inheritance answers to our sense sometimes that we're worthless. Maybe some people would struggle with that sense of worthlessness because of uh, some suffering that they've had in their background or just the difficulty generally uh, of their lives or their sense that their life isn't amounting to much. And we're being told here, no, the Lord has placed his love on you in a special way. And just like he said about Israel, that the Lord's portion is his people. Paul is saying uh, God's portion is those who are in Christ. And that gives us the ultimate sense of worth that our hearts long for, that will give us peace, that will then again enable us to live a life of giving. And then in that that effort to live for the Lord, uh, isn't it true that we often feel powerless? We, We are so aware of our weakness And the answer to that is that God would persuade us of the great resources of power that we have available in Christ. And I think of the story of Elisha and his servants when they were overwhelmed by these enemy forces and the servant is filled with fear. Elijah is confident. And what resolves the problem for the servant is what? That the Lord all of a sudden opened his eyes to have some window of understanding into all of these forces that were there to defend, to protect, to fight on their behalf. And essentially, that's what Paul is praying for here spiritually as well, that we would be uh, great, more and more aware of all that the Lord has provided to equip us and to enable us uh, to serve him in this world. And so as we pray for revival, we encourage us to pray that the Lord would free us from a life of instability or insecurity or uh, being overwhelmed by weakness and really open us up to the incredible riches that we have in Christ. And and I believe that will be a big part of the Lord moving us to a revived state where we are living for eternity. I trust that'll be an encouragement to us as, as we pray today.